Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossover Podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. June 6th. 1944, commonly referred to as D-Day, the Normandy invasion. You know, every year, more and more of the heroes of that day are passing away. Soon, there will be none. And when that day comes, literally a page is going to turn in the history books. But to capture the heart and the soul of that day, to keep it forever in the forefront of our memories, became a passion of our guest today. Doug Stapleton decided it was time for the world to know some of the people that turned survival into victory, that turned their fears into courage, that turned the the sorrow over 5,000 dead and buried in one small town into a lifelong ministry of compassion and to tell the story of many stories, all in order to honor those who gave their all to keep the world free. Doug Stabler has been on our program before. He's been working in the entertainment business since 1987, born and raised in Glasgow, Montana. He came to Hollywood at age 19 and has lived and worked in Southern California since then. His expertise is music publishing for film and television, and his company owns a catalog of songs that are licensed to film and television studios and to independent productions. He's not only a film producer, but an author as well. It's his love of history that drives him to make films and documentaries that are inspiring and formative and educational all at the same time. Amen. His love and passion for history led Doug to create and produce the film, The Mother of Normandy, which he turned into a hardcover book, coffee table type book, and recently an ebook. praise God. So help me welcome back to the program, Doug Stapleton. Doug, it is so good to have you back on the program, brother. Well, it's great to be back. Thanks again for having me back to talk about this. I appreciate it. Amen. Now, the film and book that we're talking about is The Mother of Normandy, which details the life of one woman, Simone Renaud, who lived through the German occupation and witnessed the 82nd Airborne and 101st Airborne Division parachuting into their town, St. Mary Iglesi. Mm-hmm. What initially led you to start researching her and ultimately, I mean, how did you find her and creating a documentary that was honoring her? How, how did all that get started? Well, uh I, I've always loved history, as you mentioned, and especially World War II history. <coughs> Excuse me. And so I always wanted to go to Normandy. So I, got, I went to Normandy in 1998 for my first time. And uh, but I went during the winter because I was going on a trip to, to Berlin. So I thought I would go uh, to Germany. So I wanted to go to Normandy. So dorm, during the winter is not a good time to go because all the museums were closed and stuff. So I went back the following year in June during the D-Day anniversary. And, you know, every time you go, you learn more. So when, when I was there, um, on my a trip, I think in 2003, I met some British World War II veterans in this little town called Aromanche, where they had the uh, the Mulberry Harbors there, and uh, and I met those guys and found out they come back every year to honor you know the dead in the in the in the cemeteries and the British and Canadian uh, soldiers and and Americans also, and so I, um, I I decided to do a documentary about them. So for the 60th anniversary, that's what I did, and. Uh, 
uh, while, while my main cameraman was coming across the channel with them in the ferry, me and my other cameraman slash audio guy, we, uh, we had an extra day. So I said, let's go down to St. Mary Glees. And, uh, I know that's where the American, uh, you know, the American paratroopers landed and, and about six miles towards the beach is that's where Utah beach was. I said, we should maybe get some, uh, even though this is about British veterans, we can get some B stories, you know, about why the American guys come back every year. So that was the idea. And so we went down there. We had the camera and uh, ran into a guy on the right there on the church plaza uh, on the road. And he, he had an old Willie's Jeep. And I was talking to him and he said, oh, what are you doing with the camera? I saw I'm doing this uh, you know, uh, uh, documentary on some British guys. But I wanted to come down and meet some American veterans to kind of get their story, why they come back to Normandy every year. And he goes, oh, you need to talk. He was a, actually he was a reenactor from Holland. His name was Paul. And I, I've seen him many years since then when we first met. He comes back every year. But he said, oh, you should talk to Bill Tucker. He was an 82nd Airborne Paratrooper, a young guy, and he landed in the field about 200 yards from the church. And I said, oh, that'd be great. I said, where's he at? He said, oh, he's sitting over there at the table. At the table. And he was literally there having a beer or something at the stop bar outside. And so I went over and introduced myself to Bill, told him what I was doing, and asked him if I could interview him. And he said, yeah. Uh, he said, tomorrow would be better. I'm kind of busy the rest of the afternoon. So I went and picked him up the next day, uh, brought him over to, um, uh, you know, brought him over to uh, the church, over to the church in the car. And I remember as we left, we're driving down the road that goes into St. Marguerite. It was only about like an eighth of a mile out. But he said, I remember on the morning of D-Day, me and, you know, Peterson, Private Peterson, were behind that house right there in a pig slop. Mm-hmm. And we set up our 30 caliber machine gun because we, we were waiting for the, uh, you know, the, um, the, the Germans to recount the counterattack. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, this guy's like was right in the middle of it. So I was excited. So got to inter- uh, interview him a little and then went over to the museum. And while we were at the museum, uh, he was about 79 or 80 at the time. So he, um, I think about 78, yeah, 78 or 79, he had a cane. So he said, I need to sit down. So he sat down on this kind of a cement slab outside the, the uh, museum, inside the museum, uh, you know, little area. And, while he was sitting, uh, uh, a guy came up and and saw our camera. We had a tripod, a little tripod there, and, and he said, "Hey, Bill, what's with the um, you know, what's with the camera stuff?" Because we had the camera pointing at Bill, so he could see that he was the focus. And Bill, so these guys were doing a, a documentary on these British veterans, but they wanted to talk to me because I was also, you know, I'm an American veteran. No. So this guy said, oh, and he sat down next to Bill, put his arm around Bill and basically just said, and I had no idea who this guy was. And he said, well, he says, well, I want to tell you something. We French, we love the Americans and we love, uh, we love all Americans and especially the soldiers who came to liberate us from the Germans. And we, we'll never forget what they did. And we, um, they're always welcome to France and to Normandy and especially St. Marguerite, the first time liberated by the Americans in the Normandy invasion. I'm thinking, like, wow, this guy, is, that's well said. And I said, oh, wow. I said, now, who are you? And Bill says, oh, this is uh, Maurice Renault. His father was the mayor of the town during the Normandy invasion. I said, oh, yeah. wow. And I said, so I'm all excited, like a kid in a candy shop. I go, what do you remember as a kid? And he said, well, I was only two years old. He said, I was born in 42. So in 44, I was only two. I don't remember anything. He said, I, I, as I got older, you know, uh, four, five, and six, I do remember um, a lot of the uh, veterans uh, coming back to visit and having dinners and stuff in our house. My mom and dad, you know, honoring them and and, and having them over. He said, but um, but he, he had a book in his hand. He always carried this book. And he said, but this is a book my father wrote. He said it was a bestseller from 45, 46, and 47. Wow. And he said it's from a, for his firsthand, his firsthand account as the mayor and what he what happened that night. And he and on the back of it, it had a picture of uh, John Steele, 
uh, Mayor Renault and, and Bill Tucker. And it was sort of the 20th D-Day anniversary in 1964. Mm. And John Steele was the guy, Private John Steele, who got caught on the church steeple in the town. It made, was ah. made famous from the movie The Longest Day. Red Buttons played yeah. that character, 82nd Airborne, jumped out and floated down. And he got caught on the, the church steeple <laughs> and played dead. And the Germans uh, finally uh, captured him. But he, I think he escaped a couple of days later. But anyway, so I'm going, oh, wow. you know, And I, I'm just thinking, wow, but I, I, I hit the jackpot. I'm talking to the guys whose dad and Bill. And, and then, um, but he said, and so he said, um, so, yeah, I don't remember as much. He said, but my brother, Henri Jean, he said he was 10 years old on the night of D-Day and he remembers everything. And he said, he's mm. actually standing right behind you. And he was literally standing behind me talking to, to, to some other people. And so I went after I finished up with Bill, I went over and introduced myself to Henri Jean. And I say, I just met your brother, Maurice, and, and I've been interviewing Bill. Would, would you? be open to me interviewing you about what you remember, you know, as a 10 year old. And he said, yeah. So after we finished up with Bill, maybe 45 minutes later, we went over to the, um, the uh, pharmacy because his dad was, his job was the pharmacist of the town, but he was also the mayor. And um, now he's 10 years old. So he's a little 10 year old, but he remembers everything. And, and I asked him what he remembered. And he said, well, you know, the pharmacy was on the bottom floor. And then I, we lived in the uh, sec second you know, the first and second floor. And he said, uh, we remember the night that the planes were coming and we didn't know exactly what was happening. We knew something was happening. Uh, we heard a lot of, you know, uh, gunshots and stuff. And my mom had us all get underneath the kitchen table. And she said, we must pray, <laughs> get under the table and pray. And, um, and, and the, the mayor was gone out all, all night. There was a fire that night. So they had to come get the mayor uh, to go ask the Germans to lift the curfew because there was a curfew and he had to ask if they could lift the curfew so they could get a water brigade to put the, the fire out. And so th that's what he remembers. And then he said, and then they finally fell asleep. They could stay up only so long. And he said, when they woke up in the morning, uh, it was still dark out. It was very, you know, really early uh, dawn. And they saw, uh, they were right across from the church this old church and this big, basically it's a parking lot now, but it was called the, the church plaza. And he said they could see little red dots bouncing around in the church plot, plaza. And and the little boys, uh, John, he didn't know what they were, but his, he had a brother whose name was Paul. He was 16 years old. He was a teenager. And 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 he said to, he said, oh, he, he said, um, they figured out that they were cigarettes, that whoever, they were smoking cigarettes out there, whoever they were. And Henri Jean said, it must be the Germans and and because uh, they they were occupied by the Germans for four years, yeah. but uh, Paul says no, the Germans they won't they wouldn't smoke at night because it gives away their position. So they thought they said, well, it must be the British. The British came to liberate us. Thank God, right? And uh, and then as it got a little lighter, they realized that the the ones smoking those cigarettes were American GI paratroopers, Amen. and uh, and they were so excited. So. Uh, then they realized that they were liberated by the Americans. And um, now to these guys, uh, Paul was 16 years old, you know, so uh, there was paratroopers that were 18 years old, right? Only a couple of years older than him. So I remember talking to Paul as I got to, I met him later that day. And he was saying that, you know, these guys were like comic book heroes to us, you know, these baggy <laughs> pants, and these machine guns and, uh, you know, Thompson machine guns. So um, that's what he remembered. And he said, then my dad came home and, um, you know, said to, to Paul, the 16 year old, Came, he was out all morning. He pulled actually one paratrooper out of a pond. Guy landed right into a pond and uh, was going to drown. Them. And the mayor pulled him out by his parachute cords and oh, wow. got out. And he and he and he says and he thought he was he wasn't sure he was a German. And he said, "I am French. I'm your friend." And he said, "That's <laughs> that he got his gun and he left. He got back in the battle." But um, but Paul said um, that uh, uh, Henri Sean said my dad came in and he said to my brother Paul, who was 16, "Today 
you will become a man. He says, I'm going to take you outside. And what you're going to see is, uh, is historic. It's a historic day. And then Andre John said, I want to go to Papa, you know, and he said, no, it's too much for a little boy, too much to see for a little boy. And he, he, you know, kept asking. He finally got to go out. So they got to go outside and Andre John said, he remembers uh, going out right across the street in the plaza there. And there were dead paratroopers, you know, hanging in the tree. And he said, he remembers, uh, standing under a tree and he didn't realize he was under a paratrooper. Mm. Uh, and then he looked up and he saw a paratrooper hanging there and he, and, and he touched his boot. And right as he did that, another live paratrooper was running by and said, don't do that. And it scared him and he ran home. <laughs> and so that was his morning on D-Day. Uh, uh, so that, that's, that's uh, what I learned from him as a 10 year old boy. And then I said, then he kept saying, you know, oh, my mother and father were very dedicated to the American uh, soldiers and all the veterans and they loved them and they've never forgot about them and they honored them. And then he mentioned something about, you know, um, yeah, all the letters that I could show you. And I said, uh, what letters? He said, oh, uh, well, uh, letters he said, they're at my house. Can you come to my house? And I said, yes. So he brought me to his house. <laughs> And it was like a, a, like a, a minute drive. It wasn't very far away. And we drove up the driveway and there was two guys standing in the driveway and uh, we get out of the car. And I told my camera, I said, just keep the camera on record. Just record everything that's happening. <clears throat> I said, this is too good to be true. You know, we just, yeah. we just the jackpot yeah. and met two of the young, two of the brothers, paratrooper and two brothers of the, of the mayor uh, within an hour. And he's talking to these two guys in the, in the park, in his, in his driveway. And he introduces, he says, Oh, this is a, this is my neighbor, Mr. So-and-so. And this is my brother, Paul, the one I was telling you about. Oh, wow. I met all three brothers within an hour and Paul wow. lived in Paris, but he was there for the DD anniversary that, that year. And I got a little, little story from Paul really quickly. And then I went, went into the house on Johnson's come in. So went into his house, uh, into the, um, into his den, you know, his little office. And uh, he had, um, he had a big book. He showed me this big uh, three ring binder book. It was like a photo album. And he, and he was going through it. And I was, he showed me all these pictures of Bill, pictures of Bill Tucker, the guy that I just interviewed, the 82nd Airborne guy. But these were pictures from the 20th anniversary, pictures from 1977, 1983, 1989. And I'm going, oh, wow. I said, you guys have known each other a long time. He goes, oh yeah. He said, uh, our, our, our children, well, uh, no, Bill's children and even our grandkids. We, we, our kids have gone to Cape Cod to visit him. His oh, kids wow. have come to France, and this has been going on for sixty years. Our grandchildren don't even know each other. I wow. said, "Wow, that's an amazing, amazing thing." He says, "Yeah, we've tried to keep the link uh, of, uh, of the Americans and French for all these years." Yeah. And then um, he showed me some stuff in his in his drawers. <clears throat> there was like a knife with brass knuckles on it. There was a, a swastika armband. <clears throat> there was um, German, you know, pass books. Uh, pl plasma bottles that had dried up plasma in them. And I said, where did you get all this stuff? And he said, oh, he says, well, these are our souvenirs. My brother Paul's my souvenirs. He said, you got to remember right, right on the, the morning, well, the night of D-Day, the morning, all the paratroopers landing, <clears throat> sometimes they left stuff in the fields, but also all the gliders came in the next morning. And they mm -hmm. said, the fields are full of gliders, crashed gliders, some crashed, some just there, but they left stuff in the gliders. So these are things that we got from the gliders and we wow. took them home as our souvenirs. So wow. I said, wow. And then he had all these books on his wall. And I said, well, out of everything in your office, I said, what's the most important? And he said, well, and he sat down and he said, probably this one and out, of, out of the 10 books. They all had little, they're little three ring binders books, little, little thinner than the big one that he was showing me with Bill, all those photos. But they all had little American flags at the top. And he pulled out the second one and he opened it up. And I'm standing over his shoulder as is uh, uh, Nelson, my camera guy. And we're getting all this on 
all this on video. Like I said, it was just too good, too good not to have the camera running. Yeah. And um, and he's going through, and I'm seeing, I'm looking over his shoulder, and I'm seeing all these letters. He goes, "These are the letters I was telling you about." And I noticed, you know, up in the corner, right hand corner, it would say, you know, uh, August seventh, nineteen forty five, uh, Seattle. Uh, August, uh, you know, or September or whatever, the 47, uh, uh, Pennsylvania, just all over the place. Some of them had little pictures of GIs down on the bottom of the, of the you know, they were in like, uh, you know, they were uh, in like cellophane yes, around yes, them, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, so, and then they turned the pages, seeing all these letters. And then there was a picture of this lady putting flowers on the grave. And I said, oh, I said, who's that lady putting flowers on the grave? Remember, I don't know the story yet. Yeah, this is yeah. everything before I even know about his mom doing things yeah, with graves. Yeah. I knew his mom and dad, uh, uh, um, you know, loved the veterans, but I didn't know really why, right? And so I said, who's the lady? So that's my mom. I said, why is she putting flowers in the grave? He goes, well, that's what my mom did. I said, oh, what do you mean? He said, then he explained the story. My dad was the mayor after the war, right after the invasion. Many of the soldiers were getting killed. They decided to make St. Mary Gleese uh, the t uh, to put some temp they put three temporary cemeteries there actually two in St. Mary Greece and one about a mile away uh, in a little little uh, area called Blowsville but they're all kind of the part of the St. Mary Greece three temporary cemeteries and there was anywhere from 13,000 to 15,000 soldiers buried there when it was all said and done yeah they were there from 40 uh, 44 to 48 but he said you know the, uh, these western union telegrams came to the families back in America and they all said the same thing we're sorry to tell you but you're your son or your husband or whatever has been killed in the war and he's buried in the town of St. Mary Gleese. And um, basically that's what they said. We're sorry for your loss, that kind of thing. And, and so some families um, wrote a letter to the mayor of the town of St. Mary Gleese, not knowing it was Alexander Renault. They just said attention, uh, Ale uh, the attention mayor, attention mayor, St. Mary Gleese. So they all came to the mayor. He said to his wife, Simone, uh, you know, they had three ch children, right? And he said, these people, you know, lost their loved ones, their sons. We we must help them. And she says, I will, I, I will find their graves and I, I will, I will, I will do it. So mm -hmm. she went and found the, uh, these first few dozen that came in, found the graves uh, and did that, took it, you know, put some flowers on it, took a picture. Now this is what, there was no grass. This is all dirt graves, right? Yeah, yeah. At the early stage, there was just dog tags on them before they even got a right. chance to spray paint the names of the, of the soldier on, on the cross or a star of David. And um, so that's what she did. And she put a little dirt maybe in there and maybe a couple of rose petals. And then she would write a letter of comfort to them. And so then this family back in America gets this letter and they go, wow, this is amazing. They got a picture, you know, they're what they're, uh, 5,000 miles away. They can't go there. The war's still on. They can't fly there. They can't take a boat. Yeah. So to know that someone's there doing that for your son must have been yeah. an amazing thing. And, and, and in the letters, in the, in the mother and only book, we put some of the letters in there. You can see the real things that these families said, like, yeah. so thankful for your letter, what you're doing. And then, uh, then a letter, they sent a letter back to Madame Renault. Thank you so much for this and that. And now these letters start to go back and forth. And then <laughs> fast forward to July, about a month later, July 12th, Teddy Roosevelt Jr., the son of the president, was a, a brigadier general. He landed on Utah Beach with the 4th Infantry Division. Yeah. He uh, posthumously uh, was awarded a Medal of Honor after he died for what he did on the beach, helping the guys get he, off the he beach. He was the only general to take I, I, Yes, I, I think you're right. The only, yeah. And, and yeah. And the first wave, basically, and then, um, yeah. but uh, he had a heart attack about five weeks into the into the war, into the Normandy uh, uh, liberation invasion. Uh, had 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 a heart attack, and uh, they buried him in Saint Mary Gleese. So July twelfth is when he died. They had his funeral on July fourteenth, and at his at his funeral was uh, attending his funeral was Omar Bradley, General Omar Bradley, General Patton, uh, uh, Lieutenant General Collins, who was uh, I think uh, I'm not sure what corps, but he was a big big general. 
they they all there they were all there to pay their respects to Teddy. And so what happened was uh, there was a Life magazine photographer named Ralph Morris who I, I met right at the end when I was doing that when I was doing finishing up the movie and I got to add his story in the movie. But he was there. His job for Life magazine was to follow, follow General Patton and the third you know the third. Uh, well, you're you're a, you're a cavalry guy. Yeah. Yep. Was yeah. was third armored division? Third I think. armored division. Yeah, yeah, with all the tanks with uh, Patton. So that was his job. So he was in San Marquise, and he got some pictures of Madame Renault, uh putting flowers on the graves. And all those pictures ended up in the Life magazine issue yeah. of August seventh, nineteen forty four. That was the picture that I saw in the when Andre Jean was turning. I said, "Who's the lady putting flowers on the grave?" Yeah. And so that's the famous picture. And then so after she was in, in Life magazine, then people all around America who were getting so that's what made her famous. Yeah, that's that that and basically the little caption at the bottom said this is Madame Simone Renault wife for the mayor of St. Mary Glise. Uh and she's keeping General Theodore Roosevelt Jr.'s, you know, the grave decked with flowers. And that was basically the gist of it. And uh, so now people are saying, Oh, this lady takes care of the graves there. So now she started getting letters directly to her. And so she dedicated her life to that for the last 45 years of her life. Uh for four years in St. Mary Glee, they had the the, the uh, cemeteries there. In '48, the, the the War Department decided to uh, exhume the bodies and either have them sent back to America to the families and to to be re- repatriated in their own cemeteries in their homes or possibly Arlington or wherever, or they could stay in French soil, but they would have to be brought down to Omaha Beach Cemetery, which is called the Colville Cemetery or the American uh, Normandy Cemetery. And so about 60% were, were brought back to America at the cost of the government, our government. And then about 40% stayed in French soil, but they were you know, reburied down there and repatriated in the Colville Cemetery. Um, she didn't want the, the mayor. They fought against America saying, don't take these cemeteries. These are our dead, our honored dead. They fought for our liberation. We want to honor them. But they said no. And then she said, well, just she's writing letters to Washington. Please leave one cemetery. And they said no. She said, please leave one soldier that we could honor. No. So so after they repatriated them, she would go down. She didn't have a driver's license. So she'd have somebody drive her down about 30, 30, 40 minute drive down to Colville, south of St. Mary Grace. And she would go there and uh, continue getting letters and finding new people to take care of the graves and honoring the ones that she was already honoring and there's whenever you see like an 82nd airborne paratrooper 101st airborne paratrooper in that cemetery there's about 9300 a little over 9300 uh, uh soldiers buried there and, and and you know and and navy guys i mean there was a lot of but there's a lot of army guys because of the the beaches and stuff but and the paratroopers but those guys that were 80s that on their graves this is 82nd airborne or 101st they were probably in those those cemeteries in same air Greece because that's where all that was happening you know it wasn't happening down at colville right and so that's kind of that's kind of the story and, and when i heard about it i said wow Andre jean i said has anybody made a movie about this story about your mom and dad he said i said who knows about this he said well just people in the military community you know that come to visit but on a main on a ma- major scale not not a lot of people and i said wow i said this there needs to be a movie made about this and and so that's how that all started. And then I talked to Maurice who speaks very good English yeah. and Maurice really liked the idea. And I ended up meeting up with him about a month later in San Francisco when he was visiting and we uh, decided to move forward. And, and that's how, that's how the movie started. And that's how the story, I just was at the right place, at the right time. I thank God for just putting me at the right place, at the right time. Amen. And it's just an amazing story that I got to be part of help telling, you know, Amen. Amen. I know yeah. that, uh, you know, the, they so there are no graves left in that town for the no Americans? they they, no, they, they um, 
yeah, they um, cemetery number one now is a soccer field. Mm. Cemetery number two, where General Roosevelt was buried, is now some of its land, but some are they're you know have built buildings. I mean, it's like you know seventy yeah. years ago, so they're yeah. they're you know yeah they got some buildings yeah. over it. But and then and then the Blowsville one is it was originally farmland, then it was made into a cemetery, and now it's back to farmland. Oh it's, really? Oh, just wow. farmland, yeah. yeah. And yeah, but there's monuments there at each at each one of those. There's a monument saying how many were buried there and which like divisions they were from. And so yeah. they still honor them and, and, you know, haven't forgotten oh, about them. Yeah. their original resting place. What yeah. about uh, German cemeteries? Are there any cemeteries? There is, German there is a German cemetery. There are some German cemeteries. So there is one uh, not far from St. Mary Glees. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of the name of it. I've been there a few times. It's a lot different. You know, the, the, these, the American cemetery in Normandy is very, you know, the, they're white granite or white. I'm not sure if it's granite, but they're beautiful you know, uh, crosses and stars of David and, they, and, the, and the grass is kept up good. And it's very, it's right by the ocean. The one in, in, in the German cemetery, you know, some of these, and they're only, you know, one body per, per grave in the American cemetery. Well, in the German cemetery, sometimes there's four bodies buried in one grave and they're little, little, little stubby kind of stones shaped in the, in the, in the, in the like a cross. Um, and, um, it's a beautiful cemetery, but it's a little more gloomier, you know, it's, it's just, yeah. it's, uh, mm. yeah. And then on the, and on the way there, and there's thousands buried there and on the, on the, on the road off the freeway to get there, it's lined with tr trees. And I was told that every one of those trees is for an officer that was buried there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And there's a lot of trees. Yeah. Wow. Hey folks, Pastor Bob here. We're all out of time for today's portion of this great interview with Doug Stebbleton, author of The Mother of Normandy and the producer of a great documentary film by the same name honoring Simone Renaud. She lived through the German occupation, witnessed the 82nd Airborne and the 101st Airborne Divisions parachuting into her town, and then, after the war, provided great relief and comfort to Americans back home by being their point of contact where their loved ones were buried. And she placed flowers on the graves, took pictures, and sent them back to the fallen soldiers' loved ones just so they could know that their fallen soldiers' burial place was still being honored and cared for and that they were not being forgotten. And as we remember, and out of those that stormed ashore at Normandy Beach on D-Day, Doug has released an ebook version of his hardcover book, The Mother of Normandy. Now, you need to go down to the show notes, click the link right now, get this great book. I, I also urge you to consider purchasing the DVD and watch the entire documentary. It is moving. It honors our fallen soldiers. It honors our military. It honors Simone Renaud and her family. It, it's a moving documentary and one that you and your family will cherish forever. If you have someone who was in World War II, and there's not many with us now, but there's still a few, bless them by showing them this documentary. Share it with your grandparents who were probably born right after the war was fought. It'll be a blessing to them as well. Most of all, be sure to come back for part two of this interview in the next episode. Until then, this is Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www 
podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcast. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.